0: Hi, I'm JJ Anselmi, author of the new book, Doom to Fail, the incredibly loud history of doom, sludge, and post-metal. I'm also the drummer in a band called Drainage from Long Beach, California. And I'm uh, feeling super stoked to be here with uh, Lou Brutus today.
1: Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'm author of the new book, Sonic warrior my life is a rock and roll reprobate tales of sex drugs and vomiting at inopportune moments uh, I am also uh, senior director of programming for Sirius XM I am host of two nationally syndicated radio shows hard drive and hard drive XL uh, I also sing in a couple of crazy bands uh, one of which is based on the Ohio State versus Michigan uh, football rivalry. The band is called the Dead Shembecklers. and the other is a punk band that sings punk rock songs about how getting old sucks uh, and it's all guys like me in their 50s and it's called Grumpy old punks. So uh, I don't I don't sleep too much you know I just work all the time.
0: That's amazing. I got to listen to uh, grumpy old punks. I think I'm gonna be there. I'll, I'll do the metal band version um, in my 50s.
1: You know, I, I, it's funny that you say that. I think there had been a band like that uh, years ago. I hadn't been aware of, and uh, I was having a conversation when first starting up Grumpy Old Punks with, um, um, I was going to say Bo Biafra, Jello Biafra, uh, ex of Dead Kennedys, and, yeah. and he was telling me about uh, a metal band uh, of old guys, and they were called Iron Prostate. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, fucking amazing. He said they were pretty good I was never able to and I, I think that it was long ago and far away And I think it was probably in final days But yeah. uh, I'd still like to track down a copy of that And check it out
0: Yeah, well they win for uh, having a Fucking badass metal name
1: Yeah, you know, even Spinal Tap Didn't come up with Iron Prostate That's pretty good
0: Yeah, for sure Yeah, it's very in the uh, spirit of Spinal Tap though So one thing Kind of, uh, you know Just looking at, you've done so much just so much crazy, interesting shit over the years and had so many stories. Um, and so it seems like you've, you've probably seen like heavy metal go through pretty much every phase there is. Um, and so, I, yeah, I was, I was wondering if you could uh, speak to that. You
1: know, um, I saw my first show in December of 1976, I had just turned 14 years old the month before, uh, and actually I, I cover the, uh, the first concert in the opening chapter of the book. The, uh, the chapter is entitled, The Time I Attended My First Concert and Threw Up on Carlos Sanchez. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I had the flu, no joke, I was, I was really sick and uh, certainly should not have gone to the show that night, but I didn't want to miss my first concert Uh, so I insisted that my older sister and her boyfriend take me with them. Um, and, um, sort of the rush of adrenaline when I got there and seeing the opening band, which was Ted Nugent, uh, who had just put out his free for all album, which is actually a great record, uh, uh, put me in a mood that I should party. So I downed an entire bottle of Boone's farm, strawberry wine, passed out, missed black Sabbath, and then vomited all over the garden (laughs) on the way out and, and many of the people. But yeah, I mean, um, my introduction to metal was pretty much that year. Like, like I knew what was going on before that, um, but some of my early shows included Black Sabbath, and then my second show was a couple of months later, February of '77, uh, Kiss with Sammy Hagar, and that was a that was a really interesting show. Um, Kiss had never played Madison Square Garden prior to that. Uh, which seemed odd because, you know, they were native New Yorkers, but they said, we're not going to play Madison Square Garden until we can headline it and we can sell it out clean. Wow. And uh, my, my cousin Tommy uh, managed to come up with a, a pair of tickets in the color-coded green section of the garden for the show. And if it, it, this is going to sound trite, it's still one of the greatest nights of my life. That's awesome. Uh, you know, you're 14 years old, it's February of 77 kiss is absolutely white hot at this point. Yeah. And they put on one of the, the great shows I ever saw. So, um, yeah, again, back to the original point, I know I keep getting sidetracked here, but, um, you could argue that the origins of heavy metal, uh, go back to the 1960s and Zeppelin. you could, you could make a a, a sort of argument that maybe you really got me from the kinks was the beginning of heavy metal. You could also argue at the same time, it also kickstarted punk with the very same song. You know, uh, I I, I think you really got me from the kinks might be the greatest rock song of all time. It's certainly one of them Um, because it's one of the first songs that really just boiled it all down, but also made it as heavy as technology and recording techniques at the time uh, could do. Um, so, so yeah, so from, from my time, uh, in the mid seventies, when I first started going up to today, there have been, um, you know, there have been all sorts of genres that have broken off and, and sounds that have come along. And, uh, it's been interesting to, to have essentially a front row seat for a lot of it through, um, you know, my radio career in particular, you know, the syndicated shows hard drive and hard drive XL, where, you know i i was the first to give airplay to slipknot disturbed yeah godsmack five finger death punch and and hailstorm and you know tons of other bands um you know i i think it it being heavy metal is Although one of the most maligned genres of music, yeah. I think is is one of the strongest because it's always been a music that's for, for outsiders and ne'er-do-wells yeah. uh, and outcasts from society in many ways. Uh, one of the misunderstood things about metal is that people who put it down tend to insult the intelligence of people who love it. Right. Uh, whereas most of the metalheads I know are extremely well-read people,
0: definitely, and
1: uh, extremely well-informed people, and the fact that they are so intelligent and so informed makes them want to reject society's bullshit in many yeah. ways, uh, which is why I think they gravitate towards it. Uh, and and listen, any genre is going to have shitty bands or stupid fans. Or yeah, I'm not saying everybody who listens to heavy metal is a genius. Right. But I do believe that um, it probably has a higher uh, uh, a higher percentage uh, of hyper intelligent people and and again well read people people sure. who uh, uh, who research and people who read and and people who want to fill their brains and and they also want you know music that feels like getting hit with a fucking two by four in between their eyes. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's always that's one of the things I always come back to as well in that like uh, I, I think in the early days you know like um the first reviews of black sabbath were essentially like this is kind of a joke this is a novelty and then as it still progressed there's always those kind of voices of like you know this isn't actually art this isn't as interesting as this other music and the metal community just seems to operate on its entirely own wavelength and just does not give a shit and keeps reinventing itself In these cool ways and and you've been there for for multiple of them i i love that uh you played some of the first uh slipknot or you really gave like slipknot a big break because that was one of the first like when i was kind of branching out as a you know um in my like when i was 12 or 13 and finding my own first like favorite bands it was really corn and and slipknot and i can still go back to those records and and they just are fucking. Uh, they're just so raw and intense.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, um, first Slipknot, uh, and I, I, I in case I, I meander too much, let's come back to corn. But we'll begin with Slipknot. Okay. Um, I first heard them. It was a. It was an unmastered, I think, unfinished, and and not, I think, totally mixed version. Of you know, we'll call it the debut album. Of course, there was stuff out before that. Well, major label debut, the the first record for uh, for Roadrunner, and it lit a fire under my ass like nothing had in in many years uh, before it. That's awesome. Um, it was metal, but there were other things to it too. I, I still think uh, there was a, a, a maybe not an element of punk but there was a spirit of punk somewhere in the recording and the approach and the vibe of the music. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I think maybe, uh, eyeless, uh, which is a tremendous song. It, 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 it vibes like punk and it's, it's still a metal song. I'm not saying it's a punk song, but there's something in its DNA that is incredibly punk. And of course on that record, there's, you know, there's hip hop elements and, you know, there's there's little vibes of classic rock in it. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a whole lot of things put together, but I, they they had never really been put together in quite the same combination before, and and that's what excited me so much about uh, Slipknot. And I started playing Wait and Bleed before anybody like knew what it was, and um, Roadrunner was excited about it when I first met the band later. I found out they were, they were super stoked about it. Um, Corey uh, had, had, you know, first told me the story uh, when he and I first met, uh, he was working at a porn shop
2: uh,
1: <laughs> for, for years, you know, like late night porn shop counter guy. Yeah. And he would, he would listen to my show on, uh, on uh, laser, the, uh, uh, the big rock station in Des Moines. And he always said, well, I'm, I'm going to be on that guy's show. So I didn't know any of that. Um, I, I just heard this thing and liked it, and, and then as I started meeting the guys, turned out they had they had been listening to the show for years. And uh, I, I, the other thing that blew me away, other than the the first listen, the first listens of you know the unfinished record that I heard, then the finished record. And then what really pushed it over the top was the first time that I saw them live. Yeah. And it was OzFest that year, and Slipknot was the bottom of the fucking barrel. They were the first band on stage. It was in Hartford, Connecticut. I think it was the first show of that tour. And I remember they had just hit the stage, and I I come over the crest of the hill from the lawn. They were second stage. They weren't even main stage. They were opening the second stage. Wow. And there weren't a ton of people who were watching them, but the people who were watching them were going fucking ape shit. Yeah, I bet. like there were clouds, just clouds of dust, like people going insane. And I just, I, I, I swear to God, I remember it. I just stopped in my tracks, and I'm still kind of far away. And I just went, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> yeah, and I just was drawn to the stage. And there's nine of these guys and they look like a nightmare. And the other thing that people forget back then, they had no budget for anything. Right. So it was really DIY. And again, it had a very punk rock vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, and I just remember like, Holy fuck. And then I, I go back to do the interview. Corey couldn't do the interview because he, he at that point really didn't know how to tour and he didn't know how to protect his voice. Okay. So he was under doctor's orders and, and he and I like, like, kind of chatted a little bit but it wasn't on record Uh, i think the first interview if i remember correctly was with clown and joey but when i got on the bus the guys in the band and they were in the oldest shittiest bus you had ever seen like elvis probably used this for fucking state fairs back in the (laughs) 50s and it stank it stank so bad because there's nine guys a ton of crew people there must've been like 18 or 20 people on this piece of shit bus. And, and it's, it's already like hot and warm season and it just stank. Anyway, I get in the bus and some of the guys picked me up literally, uh, under their arms and carried me through the bus to the end of the bus and all the way back. Cause I, I like it started trying to break the band already. And, uh, uh, from that day on, the guys have treated me, uh, really, really well. And, and, they've consistently put out great music and, yeah. and put on some of the most phenomenal shows that I've ever seen in my life. And again, I've seen more than 3000 live music events and Slipknot is one of the greatest bands I've ever seen. Some of the greatest individual performances, some of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen For sure. uh, have been given by then, but back in the, and I'll, I'll wrap up about Slipknot in a second. I'm sorry to ramble too much. No, um, you know, everybody like, like other people in the industry that I knew, uh, and, and I would be as excited then as I am now talking about them. Um, these other people would tell me I was fucking crazy. Oh, these guys are a gimmick. They're a fucking joke. They wear fucking masks. Oh, this is garbage. And uh, I, 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 I remember whoever the reviewer was for the next to last show in that tour cycle, which went on for like two years. The next to last show was in New York, I want to say at the Hammerstein uh, and, uh, it was Halloween night and I read the review the next morning heading to Philadelphia where the last show of the tour was going to be. And the reviewer was like, oh, these guys are a novelty, just like Halloween masks.
2: Yeah. You know, they're,
1: they all have numbers, not names and their number will be up soon. And I just remember thinking, I'll bet they show this guy really bad uh, I, I'll bet they'll show this guy up really, really bad in the years to come. And yeah. they did. So anyway, it was like it, it took about a year or a year and a half uh, where I was like the voice in the wilderness. Uh, but the eventuality occurred and uh, they exploded. And yeah. uh, I'm glad they did. And the world's a better place for them.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And like you said, the uh, I think that influence just speaks for itself. There's a whole new generation of, of bands that are really kind of taking the Slipknot sound you know, to a different level. Even now, I think the band Code Orange really stands out to me as doing something pretty interesting with that.
1: Well, you know, I I think one of the things that Slipknot showed, uh, and then we can move on to Corn, who who is who has has done essentially the same thing that I'm going to talk about right now, but yeah. in a different way. Uh, they've done the same thing differently. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Slipknot showed that you know you can you can you can do metal, and it's still metal. But you can take different rhythms and you can take different instrumentation and you yeah. can do different stuff with the sampling and the keyboards and turn it into something. Uh, uh, and again, you know, that's where the advantage of having nine guys comes in, that they're able to do all these other things that nobody had done before. And and the other cool thing is, you know, certainly sometimes bands now will use some tracks or they'll 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 uh key stuff for their backing live uh and and i don't mean like they're just lip syncing that's a totally different thing but Mm -hmm. some people you know they have string parts or horn parts or something that obviously you know, they're not going to be able to bring up a horn section out with them or an orchestra or something. Right. Um, you know, what slipknot has done is, you know, they just have all the fucking guys live with them, (laughs) which is pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, And, and also it's just so entertaining to, to see. And in particular, um, uh, they are the most fun band to take photographs of in concert. That's another thing that I do quite a bit of is, is photography. Um, you know through the years because i've had access to all this cool stuff uh, i've started taking more and more pictures and getting more and more serious about the equipment and 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 learning how to do this stuff properly yeah. and when you go to shoot slipknot it's if you can't find something to take pictures of you're just you know yeah you're just fucking not doing it right you yeah, know you have to yeah, be looking the, the for something you know you might be in the center of the photo pit and you're looking off to to the left and and you know sid has come down from his uh, his turntables and he's dancing around in the front. You're thinking, "Well, there's the great shot." Meanwhile, just out of sight to your right, you know, just out of your peripheral vision, Corey, Mick, and Jim are fucking going off on one another, and you're missing something else spectacular to take pictures of. So, yeah. um, so, so, you know, that's all the Slipknot stuff. But back to Corn, you know, Corn was one of the pioneers in taking other sounds and putting them into metal, uh, you know, in their case, uh, quite an element of, of, uh, hip, uh, ex- excuse me, uh, hip hop, yeah. uh, and also some textural things that come from a more straight up dance world. True. Uh, and, and really about the only band that I could think of super early who is doing it heavily, uh, in a heavy sense, Was a a phenomenal band who are still around, who are still great uh, at a San Diego uh, POD payable on death. Yeah. uh, Who are a fantastic band. And they, you know, they probably do not get enough credit uh, as the pioneers that they are. uh, And that's why I mentioned them in the same breath as Corn. You know, obviously, Corn has become a role model for. uh, a number of different groups through the years. I, th- I think they were heavily, you know, influential on on Slipknot. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the 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 great things about Corn and one of the things that I, I admire the most about Corn is the fact that they are super fucking ballsy about taking chances with their sound. True. Now they always sound like Corn. However, they are always with every record trying something different they're looking for new elements they're looking for new rhythms they're looking for new textures and it does not always work spectacularly i i you know they i don't think they've ever had a bad album but there are certainly albums that are better than others right um but the important thing is that they don't do the same shit over and over again and they continue to evolve um i can't really think of a band that has done the same thing seemingly over and over and been really, really good with the exception, perhaps
2: Slayer.
1: of ACDC, yeah. ACDC, you know, other than the change in vocalists, they've always sounded like ACDC. True. Um, but it, but it works for them. And they uh, are also such a great live act uh, and also uh, had the ability to reinvent themselves twice now. Uh, in the wake of Bon Scott's death and then in the wake of Brian uh, with his vocal cord troubles being forced to, uh, you know, um, um, depart from the band. And, and you know, I thought Axel was going to be a disaster and said as much on the air. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't trying to be a dick. I I, I swear to God, I, I, I try to go out of my way to be supportive. And if I, I if I have a less than stellar thought about something, I, I try and keep it to myself. Uh, so I wasn't like, talking shit about axel but i did express my reservations and my doubts that um he would do well with acdc and boy oh boy was i fucking wrong <laughs> uh and i was happy to correct myself five I, I corrected myself five times more than i probably ever said anything Negative excuse me doubtful yeah. um uh about axel and uh uh good for him you know uh, again when when he shows up and, and, and gets on stage, he's fucking great, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, Corn uh, uh, and Slipknot are, uh, you know, they're they're just two of the most important things going on the last twenty years or so. And you know, there's nothing, I think, offhand that I can rem- remember in the book about Corn. There are certainly two Slipknot related things in the book um one is actually uh, a, a stone sour based chapter and and just in case people don't know my book is a memoir um with each chapter being a standalone story and much like if you and i were sitting at the bar talking crazy ass rock and roll stories yeah. you know like you know we might you know we'll like we cover a festival or something together and, and we end up at a bar uh afterwards and and you know like everybody starts telling crazy shit they've seen it's just what happens um so these are unrelated stories and they hop around in time there, there's just no rhyme or reason to the the order but the stone sour chapter is entitled the time our tour bus ran over a guy on the new jersey turnpike <laughs> and uh i was traveling with stone sour um i joined up with that leg of that tour in new york city then we went up to bangor maine down to Connecticut, and then after Connecticut, the band was going to drop me off uh, in front of my studios, my office in Washington, D.C. So I got in the bunk early that night and said goodnight to everybody. I knew I wouldn't see them in the morning. I'd be getting off the bus uh, before everyone woke up. And I remember I woke up in my bunk, and I felt the bus had stopped, but I I hadn't felt i slept long enough to be in D.C. And uh, I heard somebody moving outside the 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 uh uh the bunk so i pulled back the curtain and and there's jim root jim was of course still a member of stone sour at that time and i said hey jim and i'm still sleeping And Jim, hey man i think we're in dc Gra- grab a suitcase man i gotta get off the bus and go and he said uh actually uh we're uh, we're not in washington we're on the new jersey turnpike and uh we just ran over a guy and we're blocking uh, completely all the southbound lanes and uh Uh, There's a state trooper in the front of the bus. You should get off and talk to him. He's a really nice guy. And I'm like, dude, that's not funny. That's really sick. Why would you say that shit? He said, no, seriously, we ran over a guy and we're in the New Jersey turnpike and the the state troopers want to talk to everybody. And uh, the guy turned out to be relatively okay. Uh, And, you know, it's a much longer story. You can read it in the book. The other Slipknot related thing, um, the chapter is entitled The Time I Escaped the Wisconsin State Police and Their Fake Fallas Felony Enforcement. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, uh, that, uh, I, I, surprised the band. I showed up at the closing night of the subliminal versus tour, uh, in the U S uh, dressed as Hunter Thompson. Hunter had, uh, uh, committed suicide a couple of months before. And, and, uh, I was a, a big fan of his, as was, yeah. uh, uh, Corey and, and clown from the band. And I would often just show up as Hunter Thompson just to, you know, act like a dick, uh, you know, <laughs> um, and, uh, so I showed up to surprise everybody and to MC the show that night, um, Corey, to prank Shadows Fall, who is opening the band, um, long story short, he uh, walks out on stage stark naked, except for his Slipknot mask and some like a black plastic bag and some duct tape wrapped around his junk. And as soon as he hit the stage, he started prancing around and, you know, in through shadows falls. They're trying to do their number. Um, the crowds going fucking crazy. And then from behind me, I, I hear Corey's wife at the time, Scarlet, go, all right, Hunter, you're on. And she shoves me out on stage. So it turns into this sort of weird ballet of me chasing Corey around with, a, I, and I'm totally Hunter Thompson doubt with a fly swatter in my hand, swatting in the direction of the giant duct tape weenus, which I don't know if he had a sock in it or something. It looked like it came down to his knees. Um, or maybe he should, be, he should be doing porn. I don't know. I tried not to look that close. Uh, and, and the place went crazy and I, I don't think we were out there for more than 30 seconds. It seemed like longer. Uh, and then we both split and ran off stage. And, uh, who do I run into? I run into the Wisconsin state police who are now rushing the stage from up the side. So I, I ran up into one of the luxury boxes, uh, where some radio friends of mine were and changed my clothes and, uh, 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 I didn't get arrested, thankfully. I don't know if we had broken any laws, but the state police were certainly not happy. Um, So anyway, the the full story is in there. It's uh, it's super goofy. And uh, uh, one one last uh, thing while we're on the subject, there's another chapter in there in relation to Hunter S. Thompson. And it talks about the times I met him and and we ended up kind of staying in touch, uh, although he had menaced me with uh with uh a cattle prod and a bottle of chivas regal uh and that's because apparently he liked me he thought i was a good guy uh (laughs) but again it's it's all there in the book and again it's it's all these unrelated kind of crazy ass stories from my career it's uh i i you know looking back on it all it's like i'm i'm just glad i'm alive
0: yeah yeah i can't wait to read it and it's funny uh you mentioned hunter s thompson because uh his book hell's angels was actually a big influence on uh doomed to fail because I really loved how he, I mean, it's about, you know, his time with the hell's angels, but it's, it's always told from his perspective essentially. And I really appreciated that kind of, um, looking back at his own experience to further inform the narrative. And that's a lot of, uh, what I tried and do in this book, but to circle back to, uh, corn and slipknot, um, Part of what always fascinated me about them is just where they're from. You know, Slipknot being from Des Moines, and then Corn. I know they like basically made their break when they were in Huntington Beach, but they're from Bakersfield, and I think both of those bands yeah. really, really sound like to me. Slipknot, you can hear that they're from De- if you've ever visited Des Moines. The first time I went there, I was like, "Yep, this is ex- this is for sure where Slipknot was from." And then same with uh, Bakersfield. They're just like these weird. I don't know how you just kind of like cultural vacuums, I guess that to me it made perfect sense that that's where they're from. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, uh, and I remember, um, going to interview corn in their old rehearsal space, uh, in HB. And if I remember correctly, it was an old strip mall and they were like in an old store in a strip mall, but that's, that's where they would rehearse and base themselves out of. Yeah. um, you know, yeah, Bakersfield is just this enclave out. You know, everybody thinks California is packed with people. Well, yeah, it's true on the coast
0: Go to the Southern and Valley in, in though,
1: some yeah. places. But once you get to the interior of California, there's a whole lot of places where there ain't a whole lot going on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and a, a lot of it, the, the sort of central part is is farming, uh, yep. you know, not quite like Midwest farming like it is out uh Uh, In Iowa, where Slipknot is from, but those are still there are still incredibly large tracts of rural areas in California. And then Northern California with with timber and, you know, like geographically, it's it's like five or six or seven or eight uh, different um, spaces. Uh, And, you know, Des Moines, which is actually getting to be a pretty hip place now. Um, I was last there. Was it July or August of last year? uh, I uh, went in. uh, There was no way I was going to miss it. Slipknot had wanted to play the Iowa State Fair since before they got recorded. And I personally never thought that it would happen uh, just because, you know, they're Slipknot. It's fucking State Fair. Right. Um, But um, last year, uh, early in the year, they announced that they were going to play the Iowa State Fair, and I thought, you know what? If I see one concert in 2019, I am going to see Slipknot at the Iowa State Fair. Part of the reason because you know I wanted to see them again in their hometown, and I had seen Stone Sour in their hometown before, and and I had been to Des Moines for a number of things before. I'd done radio specials, uh, album specials. Uh, with the band before in des moines but i'd never seen them uh in des moines i'd never seen slipknot proper uh and i did not want to miss this but also and people think that i'm trying to be a wise ass here and i'm not i've always wanted to go to the iowa state fair yeah
2: um
1: you know state fair you know every state has a state fair uh, but in the Midwest, they are particularly large and very important to the economy and to the, you know, the, 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 the standing and the the sort of psyche of each state.
2: Yeah, it's uh, and,
1: and it's generally agreed, uh, Iowa, uh, excuse me, uh, Iowa has the, uh, the, the greatest state fair of them all in the U S. So I, I really wanted to go. So I got there early enough that I had a day to just walk around the fair all day. And then the next day I was given the honor of introducing them on stage and, uh, and emceeing the show and uh, it was, it was pretty emotional and God, it was, you know, I I've been out on stage hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, not just with the bands I'm in, but I, I do a lot of, you know, stage stuff for concerts and festivals and all that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was a big crowd. And I've been up in front of bigger crowds before, but there was an intensity to that audience that I can't quite remember in quite that way ever before, there was a real, there was something, there was some extra emotion in there. And I think it was because everyone knew that they were seeing something special that, you know, this was the, this would be the biggest hometown show Slipknot would ever get to do. And they, they, they really put on uh, the performance of their lives. It was really, uh, you know, I, I hear words like inspiring get thrown around maybe a little bit too much. I try not to overuse it, but it was an inspiring show to see. And I, you know, most of all, it's not my place to be proud for them. Um, But I was happy for them. I was happy for them because I knew how important the gig was for them that, you know, they've climbed a lot of mountains, but this was a very special thing for them to do. And the fact that they just fucking nailed it (laughs) was, was really uh, I was really happy for him. Uh, I remember getting together uh, with Clown after it was done. Uh, I think he was greatly relieved. you know he had he had been through a lot of stuff with his family in the previous couple of years, and uh, I think it was uh, I think it was nice for him. I think it was uh, uh I, I think it was therapeutic for him uh to have it gone so well and i and and please believe me uh, um i'm i'm just guessing that it's not anything that he confided to me um you know and i could be totally wrong that was just my take on it yeah yeah uh yeah that 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 was a hell of a thing to be at
0: yeah i bet and uh so i grew up in uh, rural wyoming and i can imagine for the kids des moines is a lot bigger of a town than where i'm from but I, i can still imagine for the kids there it just it probably means the world to them to see like here is here is the fucking Des Moines band and they're playing for you and yeah i yeah. can see that being you yeah. know yeah now now tell me where
1: did you grow up in Wyoming and and like how far to say like Cheyenne you know like yeah. where where like who did you go see and how did you go see them back then
0: so um it's a town called uh Rock Springs it's in the southwest corner it's right off I80 and we we're actually closer to uh, Salt Lake City than uh, Cheyenne. Cheyenne's about right four and a half hours away, and then Salt Lake was more like um, two and a half, three hours. And so,
1: oh, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm looking at uh, looking at it on the map, yeah, uh, right now, yeah, and and much the same way that you would go to Salt Lake City. I think uh, a lot of them, my friends from Eastern Idaho, from like. Rexburg, Idaho Falls, Blackfoot, Pocatello, yep. same deal. They exactly. had down 15 or they'll head down 84 yep. to catch the bigger shows that might not come to, you know, uh, uh, their area. So and tell me, you know, you tell me who were some of the people that you went to see uh, early on, like name some of the bands that you got to see in SLC as a kid
0: um slayer was my first real concert slayer and hate breed well
1: i have to i'm sorry i have to interrupt you said first real concert
0: yeah yeah what what was
1: it uh, well, something first, tells me first, that like there's, a... there's an embarrassing skeleton in your closet was
0: the first <laughs> man um first uh professional concert i should say first other shows were more like a uh, local punk rock concerts in my hometown at like a vfw hall type place which were oh cool fucking awesome in their own way but then you know as a young metalhead when we're finally old enough to be able to drive down to salt lake and see slayer for the first time by that point i had been listening for so long and was such a like rabid fan that you know it it really was like this like pseudo-religious experience there was so much um just expectation building up to the event itself, and it definitely did not disappoint. Um, Salt Lake is, I think, is an interesting place to see Slayer, given that it's, you know, the heart of, uh, yeah. of Mormonism. And so, and I, I love Salt Lake. I think one thing I noticed um, pretty early on is that the people who don't really accept that kind of dominant culture tend to, like, reject it um, and be pretty, like, disaffected by it. And so Slayer shows in Salt Lake um yeah it was it was fucking awesome and people just destroyed and i had that kind of you know classic archetypal um headbanger experience of like you know we, we were basically my friends and i were dropped dead sober we weren't old enough to drink but um we did we had like bangovers. like there was no tomorrow like for at least a week <laughs> afterward we could not like we were just like dude are you still feeling it like can you move your neck and we're like, Oh fuck dude. Yeah. Like I'm (laughs) super sore still. And so, yeah, that was an interesting, uh, yeah. in interesting, um, interaction with music or for Salt Lake to be my first place to go to shows. And then after that I started going to like some more like hardcore shows and I kind of discovered the straight edge scene in Salt Lake, which is notorious for its own different reasons. And so that was also super interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I I, I, I was super lucky because um, I grew up. It was a very small town. Uh, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, but we moved when I was about one to Englishtown, New Jersey, which is almost right in between New York and Philadelphia. Okay. Um, and, and the, as a community, it was more geared, you know, in terms of mass transit and media towards New York, but you know, you could be in New York or Philadelphia in an hour. Yeah. So by the time, you know, again, by the time I was 14, 15 years old, there were literally shows every night. There were shows like great concerts to see every night. And I think part of the reason why I've ended up with such with kind of such a wide range of music that I like and and bands that I've seen uh, is that literally everybody played within an hour of me every year so in a given week. You know, I might go to Trenton, New Jersey to see the dead Kennedys and the sick fucks. Yeah. Then the night after that, we might be up at the Palladium in New York City to see the Kinks or, uh, you know, the Capitol Theater to see Elvis Costello or Frank Zappa mm-hmm. uh, or the Garden to see the Grateful Dead. Um, I, I just went to see anybody and everybody I could. Um, and I, it always struck Even when I was a kid. I remember it struck me as funny. Cause, and I guess it's just natural for wherever you grow up. A lot of my friends would say, oh, I can't wait to get out of this town. It sucks. There's nothing to do. Yeah. And I remember even being like 15 years old going, well, wait a minute. We can be in New York in an hour. We can be at the Atlantic Ocean in 20 minutes. We can be in Philly in an hour. We can be in the mountains in an hour and a half. Like, what the fuck are you looking to do? Yeah. We, can do any, we can do pretty much anything there is to do on this planet within an hour or so you know um yeah but yeah as a as a you know th- there really there's no better uh, area to grow up to go see bands i mean just arenas alone within you know an hour and a half you you could be at nassau coliseum in long island madison square garden or all the theaters in new york uh Asbury Park in new jersey had convention hall and the paramount theater and of course the smaller clubs like uh uh, the stone pony. Uh, there was a place called Julio's South, um, where I stood outside. I was too young to even get in and they shoot me. They kept shearing me away from the door. I wanted to hear Rick Derringer play. It was like <laughs> the only guy I, I really have wanted to see who I've never seen. Uh, just, it hasn't worked out. So, uh, yeah, I, I, took as much advantage, uh, of where I grew up as I could, at least in relation to, uh, to going to see bands.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm always, uh, yeah, I'm fascinated by the way uh place just ends up shaping our lives as music fans and musicians. And so thinking about Korn from Bakersfield again and Slipknot from Des Moines, part of what I cover a lot in my book is kind of how place really shapes a band's sound. And so I think a good example is like I Hate God, where you can just tell, you can feel in their music that it's New Orleans. Like there's no yeah. possible other place they could be from in new orleans and i feel the same way about um pantera with texas and i know there's a lot of uh, some pantera hijinks in your book
1: yeah there's a um there's a chapter uh the uh the full title is the time i was backstage and it was exactly like what people think backstage is like but usually never is yeah. And as you know, normally when you go backstage, th- there's really not shit going on. Right. You know, there's everyone is overworked. Everyone is tired. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, for anybody who thinks it's a nonstop party, it 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 usually never is. And that happens less and less anymore. Yeah. However, uh, uh, Ozfest one year, uh, Camden, New Jersey, uh, right across uh, the Delaware River from Philadelphia, there's an amphitheater there. Ozfest was playing, and uh, you know I did all my interviews the course of the day. I was wrapped up by late afternoon, and I was I was going to go watch Ozzy play, and uh, I, I I missed out to stand on the side of the stage. There were already too many people there because you know it's Osfest. Everybody who's playing there and has a laminate, yeah, you know they all want to watch from the side of the stage. I had wrapped up my interviews for the day, and it was later in the day, and uh, I thought, well, I'm going to go watch Ozzy, and I wanted to watch from the side of the stage. But by the time I got there side of the stage was already packed because, of course, it's Ozfest and everybody from every band wants to get there and and watch Ozzy up close. So I had to come back around past the dressing rooms to get back out to the crowd where I I was just going to watch with everybody else. And uh, I walked past Pantera's dressing room. And the dressing room, which like the size of a, you know, it was a nice size room, but it wasn't really big. It was like Grand Central Station, New York rush hour going into a holiday weekend. You couldn't grease another person and slide them inside. And everybody was holding a bottle of booze or something else. And they were j- just going fucking crazy. So I literally, I squeezed inside up against the wall because I figured this, I got to see. Cause again, backstage is never a crazy party. It's always, you know, kind of dull. It's filled with rock stars. Everybody's fucked up. Um, some of them are carrying like full bottles of booze and just slamming them down. At one point, the, the, the bed, the, uh, door to the little uh, bathroom off the dressing room opens up and there's a, a girl in there. Uh, her pants pulled down. She's bent over and they're using her ass as a table to do lines off of. Uh, and I remember the door opened, and then everybody looked inside and, and somebody slammed it shut. And I remember distinctly thinking, well, you shouldn't slam the door shut cause that'll create a, a like a wind and it'll blow all the Coke or whatever it is all over the room. Uh, practical, but you know, uh, anyway, I squeeze up against the wall and, uh, I end up next to Wayne static from static X who I, I knew, uh, fairly well. And, uh, he and I both had the same look on our faces like, what the fuck? And, uh, I said to him, this is exactly what people think backstage is. And then he finishes the sentence and says, but never usually is. And I said, have you ever seen it this intense? He said, never, not even once. And, uh, I hung there for a little bit, just watching, uh, Sully from Godsmack came up and, uh, he had a bottle of something that he tried to get me to, to hit. And I, I had a drive. I had like a two to three hour drive from there. And, uh, uh, he, he just good naturedly sort of busted my balls about not hitting it. Um, and, uh, Dimebag, uh, Daryl came over, uh, at one point, um, Vinny, his brother did a lot more of the, uh, press. So I never spoke to dime as much, but you know, we knew each other from sight and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he offered me, a a, a black tooth shot and, uh, I, I turned it down and, uh, he looked at my, I guess I had a strange look on my face, just looking at everything. And he said something to the effect of this really isn't your scene, is it? And I, I kind of shook my head and said, no. And he said, Oh, that's all right. You know, you'll probably wow. outlive us all. Uh, <laughs> uh and then, then, he sort of disappeared into the crowd. I don't remember if it was him or somebody from their crew, somebody set up a tattoo needle and was doing ink in the corner. Um, but, uh, I didn't partake in that either, and uh, I ended up I ended up leaving soon after that, just because again it wasn't my scene, and I didn't want to be tempted by uh, doing something, because uh, I had to drive. So uh, you know, discretion being the better part of valor, yeah, I left. Pantera.
0: So. I mean, in addition to the hijinks, there you know, there's a there's a very real like musical legacy that they set up, and I think part of that was just playing you know unrelenting, uncompromising heavy metal at a time when, you know, as far as a mainstream standpoint, people were not interested in that and kind of, yeah, that's one of the things I, I love about Ye- doom and sludge is that it's, there's this kind of purity there of like people genuinely play it because that's what they want to hear. And that's one of the things I always loved about Pantera.
1: Yeah. And, and you actually hit on a, 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 a another point a little bit earlier in regard to Pantera. Um, yeah. you know, they were a Texas band, you know they came, they 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 had element. I don't want to say elements of southern right. rock because that just sounds a little too cheesy. Um, but there were, you know, there were textures in there of other things that uh, would make it easy to figure out if you for if sure. you had the right ear for it exactly where they were from. And you know, uh, much like ZZ Top had a generation before uh you know they wore that uh they wore their texasness it is, is that a word are... texasness they wore their texasness uh on on their sleeve and uh uh it not only showed up in the yeah. texture of the music but also in the imagery of the band and wh- how they wore and and how they uh you know uh, uh acted uh yeah they were uh you know, one thing I found in my uh, dealings with them and my dealings were always professional with them. Uh, you know, I drank with them on a couple of occasions and everything, but uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it was not like buddy, buddy kind of thing. Uh, but they were always great gentlemen and um, they, uh, they always took a great pride in where they were from. And I don't think they ever could have lived or really operated uh, out of anywhere else. And, and uh, again, one other thing uh, uh, about, Uh, the brothers is they were both, God rest their souls, complete Southern gentlemen, Vinnie Paul, especially who, again, I had many more dealings with through the years. And, and really, I just liked the guy. He was, he was, he was a, he was a nice person to be around. He was uh, a very nice host. Uh, Actually, you know, one thing I meant to put in the book, if I ever get to write another one, I'll I'll probably put it in. It was, I think it was an opening Ozfest show. And I, I could, I, I, if I, had a computer in front of me. I'd look it up, whatever year it was. I think it was the first show and it was Dallas. So I flew, it may have been the first, it was the first or second show on that tour, but I flew down to, you know, to do press with everybody. And, uh, after I was all done, I didn't have to drive anywhere. Um, I don't think Pantera was playing. I think cause it was in plus, I think the guys were there and I was standing with Vinnie Paul backstage. It was like a bar room or something set up backstage. And I I just remember marveling that he could drink so much because everybody was walking up and they, Vinny oh man I'm in I'm in Dallas and I I gotta say I drank with you I gotta do a shot with you and and he must yeah. have drank with like I don't know twenty thirty people as I was standing there and uh, finally I lean over I'm like dude you're straight as an arrow you know you're not falling over or puking on me and uh, he said man just watch real close and the next time somebody came up he <laughs> acted like he did the shot and then he pointed out behind his back. And then another guy came up and handed him a shot, and he toasted the guy, and hey, gave him a hug and all this shit. And, and then a couple of seconds later, he <laughs> turns to some other guy and goes, hey, man, I got you a shot, and handed the guy the shot. Yeah. And then he turns to me and goes, man, if I drank all that shit, I'd be dead. <laughs> he goes, he, "He said, but I can't hurt their feelings. Uh, so he, he just had ways of dealing with it. And I just thought, well, you know, here here's a smart sure. guy. But he was also caring enough that he didn't want to flat out make people feel bad and turn him down. Yeah, it just uh, – just a real gentleman and a a real Southern gentleman and a a nice guy. uh,
0: By the time I got super heavy into Pantera, they were essentially done. And so I regrettably never got to see them, but from I, you know, watched all the videos a million times. And that's one of the things that always struck me is like, and they would talk about it too, of of them being fans first. And so always approaching people who are into the music on a very genuine level. And I think that's something that, um, again, the kind of doom and sludge thing, I really, really, really love it because there's that kind of approachability to it. And I, I think a lot of us take that stuff yeah. super seriously in that, you know, if you're going to be a jerk to people who genuinely like your music, it's, it's kind of, it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I feel like I learned that lesson from Pantera in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and that's one of the the great things uh, about the subgenre uh, you're talking about or subgenres. Yeah. you're talking about, but I for think sure. metal as a whole, I, I think it's always had for the most part, a great sense of yeah. community. Uh, un- unfortunately, the only, the only sort of check Mark I put against it is that just like with any other genre, there are some people who are holier than vows and that, Oh, it's not yeah, pure yeah. enough or it's not yeah. this enough. And Oh, you're not cool. because that they had a song on the radio, like you know, yeah, what the fuck? Rock in general, I think one of the problems it faces is people immediately want to shit all over a band, or I, I should say, a, a section of the rock population, right? A small but vocal uh section of the rock population loves to shit on anything the minute yeah. it gets popular. And you know, I, I call that Nickelback derangement sure. syndrome. Uh, you know, and again, I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, Nickelback is Nickelback. You know, I mean, they're they're obviously talented at what they do. And if you like them, great. If you don't like them, I understand. But for people to like make it their yeah. point in life to be proud about how much they hate Nickelback, it's like, yeah, who gives sure. a fuck? You know, it's like, like, do I have to see you post about that? Like, yeah. just stop. Uh, and, and it happens with any band that gets popular, uh, or any band that gets successful, you know, somebody has got a shit all over them. And I, you know, if, if I stopped every moment of the day to comment on what I didn't like, I wouldn't have fucking time for anything else. So, you know, that's, that's why, you know, getting back to something I said earlier, I I prefer to be positive about things on and off the air. Um, you know, there's already, uh, as we all now know, there's just too much negativity out there as it is. I yeah. don't need to add to that. I could, what's the fucking point. And it's only going to make sure. me unhappier too. So I, I prefer to, uh, as the old song goes, accent, accentuate yep. the positive. And uh, I also am reminded of something I didn't fully appreciate when I was younger that my dad used to say, uh, my dad used to say, son, always pick up the trumpet oh, instead of the that. hammer. And yeah, I was like, what do you mean, dad? And he said, well, you know, it's always better to say something good about somebody. If you don't have anything good to say, you know, don't pick up the hammer yeah. and hammer them with it. Right. Just don't say anything. But if you got something good to say about somebody or something, then say it, you know, blow the trumpet, don't yeah. bang the hammer. And, uh, you know, it makes more and more sense to me, uh, every day that, uh, that I get older. So, um, you know, that's why I just, you know, prefer to talk about the bands and the films and the TV shows or the actors and actresses or whatever it is that, yeah. that I like. Uh, cause I, you know, that, that really is, I think the most important part of my job as a radio host and programmer. And it certainly spills over now into me being an author. Um, you know, I just want to talk about cool things that people should, uh, check out that might enrich their lives. There's really no negatives that I put into the book. You know, I, there's, there's one paragraph, literally just one paragraph about one radio station that I worked at, that I really uh, had uh, a, a bad relationship and a, a bad mm-hmm. experience with. And I, I say my piece very shortly. I don't call anybody yeah. out by name. Uh, and and I only say it because it it needed to be, told in the setup of the, the story I needed to explain what the, where I was and what I was doing yeah. at the time. Uh, and other than that, you know, the, the book really, there's nothing bad about other people in it. Um, I think I easily could have written a sort of a tell all book. I saw this person doing these drugs and I saw this person with this girl, but he right. was married to her or whatever yeah. the fuck it could have been. But, but, I don't yeah. want to be an asshole, and you know, um, you know, these people have lives. And I, when, when I go out and travel with or, or cover a band, I kind of try and do it the way reporters used to cover, like President right. Eisenhower, and the the press would travel with the president. And when the president was working and on the record, he yeah. was on the fucking record. But when he was off the clock and said, "Okay, everything's off the That's record now," idea. People yeah. respected that. And and Eisenhower, by the way, would be in the bar car with the guy, because they traveled by train back then. He'd be getting shit faced with him at yeah. the fucking bar car at the end of the day. And he could talk off the record. And and that's kind of how it is for me. Now, maybe my book would sell a lot more <laughs> if I told if I told more of that stuff, but again, I I don't you know, I don't want to be an asshole. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are people who think I'm an asshole about certain things. Uh, but I, I don't want to be an asshole about that. So, and, and again, I've seen enough kind of crazy fun stuff that it was more than enough right. for a couple of books. So,
0: uh, yeah, that's so there uh, you go. I mean, one of the things with my book, I kind of came upon that similar perspective of ultimately it's just a celebration of just this music that has shaped who I am and had a huge impact on my life. And I love that, uh, you're talking about, yeah. Rock and metal is kind of uh, you know, they're basically populist forms. It's it's for everybody, and that's something that I always try to underscore. And it's funny the some of the very few times I regret really as a as a writer about music is is the times I did put on that kind of holier than thou cap. And I'll never forget this uh this Lamb of God review I wrote a couple of years ago. Um, and I kind of, you know, had it in my head like, okay, you're the, you know, you're the underground metal dude. You have to be smart and only smart metal. And I, I gave it this very dismissive review. And then I started listening to the record more and more. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck were you thinking? This record rules. Like you should have listened yeah. to your 18 year old self voice in your head because this record is fucking amazing. And I still listen to that record that, um, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's the one Randy... Um, they wrote when he was in the prison in, uh, I think Czechoslovakia after that kid had, uh, died. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. And, and by the way, his book on yeah, that it's phenomenal.
0: Subject,
1: uh, it's super is good. fascinating is and great. a great read and, uh, it's ultimately very yeah. uplifting, but it, it gets really dark and it's certainly, you know, the event it's based around is, you know, is sad yeah. and tragic. Um, but he, made as positive a thing out of it as he could. Uh, and I don't mean in a, like in a commercial sense or right. anything like that. I, I think he needed to tell the story to sort of come to grips yeah. with it himself. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a really good guy. He's a really interesting guy. Uh, he is also, by the way, he is a phenomenal oh, photographer. That's awesome. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, anybody listening to this right now, uh, go and follow Randy on Instagram. He shoots, I think, primarily with German Leica oh, wow. cameras. Uh, they are, you know, they make lenses and cameras that are many consider the the best in history. Uh, there are a number of photographers uh, around the world who only shoot with vintage Leica cameras and they are extremely collectible and can, uh, run to extreme amounts of money. And there, uh, uh, he does great, great work with them. And, uh, you know, he travels a lot and he takes, you know, he's not a partier. So he takes full advantage of his ability to travel both as a band member. And then in the downtime he gets in between tours and, uh, the guy does amazing, amazing shots. And, uh, he's really, uh, he's really a nice guy. I actually wish I knew him better. Uh, he and I have talked for years about, um, uh, me meeting up with him where he lives. You know, they're based in Richmond, yeah. uh, Virginia, uh, which is, uh, uh, a, a vast area for American history. Uh, and along with the rock and roll and the baseball and the astrophotography stuff that I like to do photography of, uh, I love shooting civil war battle sites and around Richmond. I mean, you know, you almost literally can't spit without mm-hmm. hitting, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, battleground area. So he and I have been talking about hitting some of the battlegrounds for years. So one of these, uh, one of these days he and I, uh, will hopefully, uh, you know, have the time in our schedules to, uh, uh, to do that. But yeah, he's yeah. a fascinating guy and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, brought them up and I'm glad that you were able to sort of come to grips with that. Um, The the one thing that always comes out in my mind that I wish I just kept my fucking mouth shut was uh, I was on the air in Chicago in the late nineties when the, uh, I guess it would have been the versus album came out from Pearl jam and we had a, it was a pretty crazy rock station and they encouraged us to speak our minds and be snarky and nasty and all that. And when the Versus album came out, it didn't really, you know, hit as hard as something like 10. And I remember being very dismissive on the air about it. And um, I I just think about what a complete asshole I yeah, must have sure. sounded like. Uh, you know, I, and I, 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 I've i corrected it on the air a hundred times since then, a thousand times maybe. Uh, and I brought up the story of what an asshole I was on the air. I've, I've told it in full besides just, You know, playing and supporting uh, Pearl Jam. Uh, But but I I, honestly, I feel bad about it. I feel bad about it because I I try and pride myself in being supportive of of all artists because it's one of the fucking hardest things in the world. You know, you have a better chance of hitting the lottery than you do of being in a band that becomes big. You know, only a handful of bands really break every year. Well, there's like a lottery winner every week or two you know, so, you know, and, and the odds against that are astronomical. So, so figure out the rock and roll, uh, odds and, uh, yeah. Um, that Pearl jam thing, it's just really, uh, uh, I know it was a long time ago and it was just a couple of, couple of things, but I still feel like a real yeah. jerk about it, but you know, li- li- live and learn. And if you do make mistakes and you know, you're lucky enough to, uh, get around to correcting them, you know, you just yeah, do your for best. Sure. So. Well,
0: uh, Lou, it looks like, uh, that's going to be our time for today so thanks so much again for uh talking to me
1: yeah no really fascinating again my one of my favorite things to do is just sit around and talk to other music people about exactly. music and uh i can't wait to read your book uh i hope you will sign a copy for oh, me yeah, and to for me, sure. uh, if you would be so kind I'll, I'll certainly do the the same with my sonic warrior uh and hopefully we will uh we will sit down in person, maybe uh, cover a show together or, or go play air guitar in the pit and act like that. Yeah,
0: hopes, let's do it. You know? That sounds great. <laughs>